If people once held a sense that the newspapers, television, and radio outlets of yesteryear possessed a touch of political bias, but made an honest attempt at focusing on reporting the facts, the campaign and election of Donald J. Trump in 2016 threw the modern-day equivalent of that belief into almost indisputable doubt. The term fake news has since become a household term, and internet journalist and provocateur Mike Cernovich's recent film, Hoaxed, chronicles how he got here and the run-up to the election and the subsequent political aftermath of rampant propaganda masked as legitimate journalism and the censorship and overall attempts by the system to silence and shut down grassroots dissent. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's been time dealing. Well, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Nick. Adam and Hans joining me this evening. How are you boys doing? Doing pretty well. Had a long day. Um, yeah, the weather's weather's sort of cooperating the past few days, and so I've been hitting the bricks. I uh, wanted to give a couple shout-outs to a couple people on the blockchain. We got a couple donations for 10 and $15.00 respectively. So thank you very much. Hi, my name is Mike Stucklasa. Uh, today we are reviewing a film called uh, Hoaxed. Uh, yeah, so about that film, uh, I so I originally, I watched this movie under the impression that it was a film about the Holocaust. <laughs> oh, yeah, so didn't. did I. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I thought this was like produced by Andrew England, but uh, I was sorely disappointed. Okay, I think they're both doing the red letter media style, which I'm not privy to, so I'm just going to explain <laughs> what I thought. I did. I had no idea what it was. Uh, Nick wanted us to do this show, so I just checked it out, and uh, I actually enjoyed it until a little bit later in the, uh, the sort of latter quarter of the movie, but it actually, and I have sort of a contrarian take on this that you may be surprised by, um, I thought it was a wise move to do that for just basically politically strategic reasons uh we can get into that later but i didn't completely uh lose my uh stuff over that and i thought it was uh actually pretty well done so overall and you know in the beginning i especially enjoyed it yeah we'll get into it all um so if you don't know the film it's called hoaxed and it was produced by the uh provocateur uh political entrepreneur mike cernovich uh, and he i think most of the listeners of the program know who mike cernovich is uh he the i guess we, we can get started with how it is as a film and then maybe get into like who is this film for what is the purpose of this what does it accomplish 
uh, as an interest of science, okay, I had my elderly mother watch this movie. And uh, she made it, the movie is about two hours long, and she made it about an hour and 15 minutes in, which is, I guess, a pretty good chunk. Uh, she's, of course, a conservative woman, and uh, she basically, her reaction to the film was, I don't need to watch this, I know all of this already. And it's kind of ironic, I guess. Um, that is interesting, because I think... That was kind of what was going through my head, but you know, we in this show and a lot of the people we talk to kind of do this. Uh, it's not a job per se, but we think about it a lot more than normal people do. Uh, and I figured that I wasn't the sort of typical conservative type person who would have that reaction. I thought maybe they would actually find some useful or unique insights that were contributed by the documentary. And if you know, the mom test, as they call it, when you know, you're developing, you know, products or services. And if your mom doesn't like it, it's a bad sign. Um, I, I guess it doesn't really say too much for the quality okay. of what he I, I wouldn't say she didn't like it. Uh, I just, yeah. I guess her reaction was ultimately that she found it to be uh, redundant and passe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of, when accurate. it comes to film, you know, it's like. It, well, would you buy a ticket I, for it? Probably not. So I did my best when I watched this uh, to take some notes. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of touch base with, you know, a lot of it was a blast from the past, as in the past four years. Yeah. And these are some events that some of us have lived through, uh, varying degrees of proximity to it even. And I think that the overall purpose of the film is very muddled. It is not clear the impression that I took away from it was the idea that the media is a hostile institution and that it tells lies about well-meaning Negro and homosexual and women conservatives. And that's, that's sort of a takeaway from what he was going for. Also, the other main message, especially considering how the film opens, is that it seems to be sort of a mea culpa for Mike Cernovich himself. Yeah. Can I just can I just say like off the bat uh, this this is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> what, what, I mean, okay, that's a pretty strong statement. So why would you call it the worst? Have you I mean, ever seen Trog, Hans? Have I ever seen what? Trog. No. Okay. Well, there's always Trog. There's also um, <laughs> Garbage Pale Kids. I have seen Garbage Pale Kids. Okay. Um, what about uh, Zat? I haven't seen Zat. So let me let me explain why this. I I I just I was watching this film. Did you watch the whole thing? I watched the whole thing from start to finish uh, alone. I sat here on my own, watched this movie. I didn't get up. I didn't move around. I I sat in my chair and I you weren't watched even it. you weren't even doing like I did and uh, sewing. Uh, piece of fabric onto my jeans that had ripped while I was working um, no I, I was not I was not uh, sewing hate paraphernalia onto my like my leather jacket well, we're not a punk band <laughs> but uh, surprise I mean I, I was sitting there, there actually date, I, I was I was it. close to daydreaming a few times well I guess night awake night dreaming but uh, I you know you're just thinking, like, what can I be doing right now? Like, my tool, my toolbox is a mess. I should be organizing that. Uh, but then I had, I had to force myself to pay attention to Jordan Peterson talking about whatever. 
uh, I actually thought you know, he was the worst by far. He like, w- he was terrible. I mean, so let me let me just say nothing interesting, and frankly, a lot of it was actually logically incoherent, and it sounded like a sophomoric college student using fancy words, attempting to sound insightful and profound. You know, I, 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 I was I first, really disappointed in what he had to say because he's not uh, that ridiculous, but that was bad. So sorry. When I first went to college, um, I remember there were a lot of kids. I knew from high school who were also going to college and like seeing them go on social media and post about their reactions to reading Plato's the Republic for the first time mm-hmm. and how like weepy and overindulgent they were being. That was how I felt listening to Jordan Peterson and Stefan Molyneux during this. It, it was so cringe. I, thought uh, I was, was, I was physically, better, yeah. I was physically cringing in my chair, uh, my, my, my hands and wrists and elbows couldn't stop like moving back and forth. I was fidgeting just from the, 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 uh, the, the kinetic action of forcing myself to sit in the chair while I was kind of cringing back into it. Um, okay. Let's, let's break it down. So I, I take some notes, um, as a, as a professional here. And, uh, first of all, I, I did catalog the people who appeared in the and uh, I'm probably 70% of them. We got Sarno, of course. We have the Dilbert guy. Um, some Scott. feminist named Cassie what? J. Um, who is Alex the guy Jones. who was kind of well, like, was it I Ricky Vaughn? Okay, go ahead. No, no. Let's, let's keep going. Yeah. I got We got uh, Tim Poole. Right. Uh, Lauren Southern, who... Mm-hmm. Uh, as some of the viewers might notice, if you do watch it, she does her Lauren Southern's appearance. Uh, she's not wearing shoes. <laughs> I kept noticing I that too. I was like, "Why is she wearing socks?" It was like I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there before we get any further on that. Where I'm going to move on right away. That right, was that right, was right, the right. We're going to keep going. In the Firing them off. Uh, here we go. Moving past that part, uh, we got some. I, I'm trying to. I have to admit, my handwriting is is not the greatest. So I sometimes struggle with this. Uh, we have some Diener. Um, that's what I wrote. I don't know. I not really. Wait, 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 wait. So we got that. that uh, oh, we have some comms professor. Okay, the most oh, uninteresting I, the of the social sciences guy. Probably, yeah, was, okay, gotcha. you know, and it's stiff competition to be the most superfluous of the social sciences and mm-hmm. communication studies is, of course. Uh, probably king among those uh we have our boy myron um we got uh luke radowski uh <laughs> i have written kid? down also oh uh some nigger um i you know <laughs> i i wrote that uh let's just call Gavin. him the, B- the blm activist yeah yeah well i just these are for me you know it's to help All me right. have a, a gotcha. frame of reference gotcha. um Gavin and uh, Ryan Holiday, who I'm actually a fan of Ryan Holiday's work. If you guys yeah, know Ryan I, wish, Holiday. I wish Ryan Holiday was in it more. I would have been interested to hear what he had to say instead of Luke Hukerski and all these other uh, failed e-celebs. Uh, yeah, Ryan's Ryan's a, actually a pretty good. That's writer. who that was. Um, okay, yeah, I know you. Yeah, he's yeah, he, well he's written uh, kind of modernizations of uh, Stoic philosophy that are they're very. Re- he's a very readable writer and. Uh, you, you should also you should also mention that Stefan Molyneux. He's in the last on my list. I have Molyneux. Yeah, you just yeah let, here let on Nick my list. 
I, I probably missed a few, uh, but that was that was my takeaway. And you know, when you if I was to present you with this list of people, like you kind of would know where this whole thing was going. And the people don't really have a lot in common with each other beyond varying degrees of oh, professional. Did you forget that that chick who did the MRA? Um, no, no, yeah. I did. I said it's some some feminist named Cassie J. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. you already forgot about her. That's how remarkable <laughs> she um, was. I kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's a. That's it. Uh, you know, who was absent from it is also notable. I mean, there's there's plenty of people uh, who did not get an interview who, in the context of, you know, the events covered, uh, probably should have been given a chance to speak for themselves. Uh, but they were basically written out of the script altogether. Um, Some notable uh, omissions would be uh, Laura Loomer, uh, Jack Posobiec. Uh, I would say people from that old Breitbart crowd. I'm honestly shocked that Bannon's not in it. Um, I'm, I'm really shocked that none of the none of the Breitbart crowd is really in it. James O'Keefe is in it. Uh, oh yeah, I missed him. It, I didn't have him on my actually, list. Actually, has interesting things to say. Um, yeah, you know. I, re I respect James for the most part. I, I mean, that's you know, I, yeah. I neither here nor there in a certain sense, but. Uh, you didn't get uh, the organizers of the unite the right. Of course, Jason Kessler and Richard Spencer were not interviewed, and and most and very interestingly, Milo was not interviewed despite having multiple uh, segments where he appears from um, interviews prior, previously conducted. He he has not given his own interview. I don't know the reason for that. If if he turned it down or whatever, I don't know. I guess I don't care either. But it's it is kind of the usual suspects right nick you're, you're forgetting the the lesbian trump supporter oh i did I oh, forgot the, yeah make, yeah you're right bitcoin great again girl yeah uh, that's the, the girl who's famous for being bear maced at uc berkeley <laughs> right <laughs> and for being gay that's what she's known for right right big accomplishment um yeah, yeah. uh you also don't have I did note that you didn't have Colin Flaherty. I thought that he would have been a good interview because uh, he's been covering media manipulations and lies regarding the colored problem in America for many years. Uh, but I think the decision was made to end the film. The last half hour or so of the film is uh, talking about the uh, oppression of, of the, uh, the colored folk in America. Yeah, the, so the, the the last half hour of the film. Well, um, do we want to go in sequence before we jump? Yeah, in? let's try. Sure. Let's do our best to do that. So I laid out the cast of characters here. Um, where do you guys? I mean, it's more or less in order. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. Where, let's let's do that. Well, let me, let me say that off the bat, um, the the film's editing style uh, I would describe as schizophrenic. Um, it, it's, it, it keeps like shifting back and forth to B-roll footage that is in there. I don't know, maybe as filler. I'm not really sure. Why it's, yeah, I don't really know why it's there for documentaries. That's typically kind of a waste. I don't know if you're trying to make an artistic film no, or you're trying to make a B-roll is when you don't want to look at a talking head and you want to actually see what he's talking about. You show examples of it. I mean, I, I, well, I didn't, it's not I didn't just find that. I mean, wrong there's there's whole there's whole like uh, interludes 
with the, uh, the the TV being smashed or the TV being rolled around or the t- or like the old TV with the static on it. And there are times where we'll yeah, that was t- a little bit I 10, would agree 15 with that. seconds that and no one is talking. I mean, it's it's just background music. It, it's hmm. it's like a like a college f- freshman film student made this. Uh, it, I didn't. Think it was I think bad. it was comp. I mean, it was well yeah, shot. It was fine. Uh, the editing was. I think that had you not had the film not been competently produced, the message would have came off as even more schizophrenic, as you say. I, I think that it was sal- in a certain sense, its coherence was salvaged by a relatively polished production value. I have to say, though, the one scene that I thought was a little bit overproduced was the Cernovich in the Batcave. Where he's sitting like in that subterranean, fluorescent ceiling thing in a suit. It's like he's the architect from the Matrix Reloaded or something. <laughs> like I was like, what the? I've seen this before, and I think what it is, it's like it's an intentional way to make the uh, protagonist look very important, obviously. But well, you, you know, so it is funny. A, you know, it, it is definitely a, a break from form when you make a documentary and you make yourself the first interview subject of your documentary. <laughs> yes, you, you know that he's a good guy because he's wearing light colors and he's adorned in in, in fluorescent lights and there's no shadows on yeah. him. You know that he's the hero. I mean, I went to you know we went to film school, right, Bruce, kids? Bruce Wayne. No. Yeah. So <laughs> so so. Right off the bat, we start off with with Scott Adams, who I mean, this movie was made two years ago. Uh, well, I, I guess it was probably nineteen. Made... Maybe maybe no, it was like it was, it was released in twenty eighteen. And... Okay, anyway, was it? I, I thought it was last year. It definitely it definitely comes out of the gate feeling dated. Yes, it's very dated yeah. because Scott Adams is in there. Like Scott Adams was relevant in twenty sixteen. Scott Adams stopped being relevant after that, and is at this point kind of just. Yeah, weird and annoying. According to Wikipedia, IMDb, and uh, Bitshoot, it's 2019. So really, but uh, you know, no. they shot it obviously before. So they shot release, it two so. years ago, and they released it last year. Fine. Um, regardless, it's it's a two year old film, effectively. So it, it's from it's 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 dated, and Scott Adams is there, and the first thing out of Scott Adams' mouth is talking about. Well, there's the left-wing media and there's the right-wing media, and there, there's a difference between the two. And sometimes you get a little one way going the other way, and everything is cast in those lights. I, I thought is he was trying to make a point about how to persuade people as well. Uh, it's it's more about framing, like what do you? He was he was hypnotizing me into hating the film, if that's what he, the persuasion was. I mean, immediately, yeah. I'm just I'm like, okay, so we're we're doing this left-right thing still. I thought the whole point of Trump's election was that we're moving beyond that. Like we're 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 America first. There's no left right shit anymore. Nick, yes, why, why, but... don't, why don't we go through your notes? Let, let's. I think this is going to be a little bit hard to follow if people haven't seen the film. So. Yeah, and we'll start with that. Do I recommend that people watch the film? Listeners, the program. Should they watch the film? No, you should not watch the film. Um, <clears throat> I'd recommend it. You could see it for free on BitChute. Don't pay for it, but you know, if you want to pay for it, sure. But if you want to donate to Cernovich Inc., but uh, yeah, I thought it was a worthy summary. Uh, it, it was kind of like a homage to the past four years. I thought that was actually kind of interesting to see. That 
that part of it, I think, was the most compelling. It definitely uh, it brought back some memories, and it made me reflect on the question of where exactly have we come from, you know, the past four years. And in my notes, I ask that question. I say to myself here, where have we come? And the answer that I found was um, nowhere. Um, in fact, we've regressed, if anything, because, I mean, a mar- there were subjects that were addressed in the film that would have been better material for a documentary to focus on. For example, uh, there is some discussion of the historical relationship between the Central Intelligence Agency and the news media. Yeah, that's about uh, a half hour in. That's that, that's, that, that was that was the only part of the film that was actually interesting for like 20 Well, there minutes. were a few. There were a few things that could have been subjects of documentaries, that being one of them. Uh, another would have been the relationship between, you know, is addressed regarding Alex Jones's removal from the uh, Internet and the relationship between these tech conglomerates, um, censorship, et cetera, things that, you know, we have discussed ad nauseum. Uh, that would be a good subject for a documentary. And you also had uh, Charlottesville, which a nuanced take on the events of Charlottesville would also have served as a good subject for a documentary. Unfortunately, uh, you're not going to ever see that. So, and there were a few others, little bits, but the, the thread, there wasn't much that connected them. It was kind of just like a scattershot approach to things. And there was certainly no uh, discussion of the reason, really. I mean, James O'Keefe probably gave the most lucid explanation of media manipulation and propaganda, which is, of course, the simple capitalist motives behind most of these firms. And when you put that in, you know, together with the uh, role of the uh, intelligence services, uh, that, you know, you're getting somewhere. But I don't think that your average viewer, again, I'm not sure who this is for, but I, you're not going to walk away having really learned much about anything. Um, I mean, I think that there was a missed opportunity in not having James O'Keefe do a two-hour documentary on the history of media manipulation. That would take away from Cernovich's importance. I don't think he would make a documentary about basically a guy who's actually doing truly innovative journalism. But I'm glad he was in the film. Uh, And in the film's defense, I mean, you know, it wasn't... Again, I, I didn't find it that uh, insightful uh, in in terms of like what we haven't already discussed or or heard, but um, I thought it it did summarize fairly well the bias in the uh, the media and also the fact that it's it's either government propaganda or arms of the political and economic establishments propaganda. Uh, and I, I think the most compelling evidence, though, that he used to prove that was, frankly, the James O'Keefe um, hot mics, you know, the right. CNN clips and all that stuff. I mean, if you showed that to people and, and they had any doubts in their mind, I mean, they're, they themselves have some issues about severe bias. But um, Well, in the, in the second hour of the film, there is a clip from a uh, like a, a – a speakership or a dinner that Cheryl Atkinson, who used to work at CBS, did regarding um, the beginning of the term fake news and who yeah. was behind it. Right. That five minute interlude where Mike Cernovich is just like taking someone, you know, like taking a recording of a speech someone else did and including it in the film is is 
is actually interesting. Like, okay, who is behind the usage of fake news as a moniker? Well, it turns out it's Google. Okay, so let's roll with that, right? Like, uh, that's when I, that was in the second hour. And I thought, okay, maybe this is finally getting interesting. Maybe we're actually really going to start looking at the mechanics behind the hoaxing of America into believing a lot of this fake news crap, right? And then immediately it, it descends back towards like meta commentary from people like Lauren Southern. And, uh, you know, every time there's an interesting piece of content that's introduced, I feel like we cut away to meta commentary on things that don't matter from people that don't matter. It's very bizarre. I mean, at what point was Lauren Southern an expert in media manipulation? Like, why? It, it just it, why? Why is Luke Rukowski even there? He basically well, that's that, okay. So th- that would have been another angle that I think would have paid off a bit more because when it opens and he's talking to that feminist woman who made the uh, documentary about MRAs. Uh, he says something to the effect of, well, I don't consider you an expert on uh, media manipulation. I consider you an expert on you. Uh, just talk about you and how you've been lied out about. And uh, in the case of Lauren, well, it's fair. I mean, in the case of Lauren Southern, Lauren Southern is, was, is or was a public figure, and mm-hmm. she was lied about by the media. So mm-hmm. that would have been, if you wanted a, something to link all these together and to have a more coherent narrative, it would have been that these various people's personal experiences with uh, dealing with uh, the, the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that would have been a consistent theme. You know, here are people who are, you know, various types of you know independent journalists, filmmakers, what have you, who are uh, who have been lied about. And then this is them getting a chance to say, you know, their side of the story. What you know, I mean, in the end, I'm I'm okay with kind of, you know, I mean, this isn't something for radicals or something. But I think that the goal of this is to generate as much animus towards the media that could perhaps in theory move some segment of the American people uh, to some kind of action. That would be the purpose of something like this. You know, I I welcome any opportunity uh, to make the journalist class an enemy of the people in the eyes of the the average American. That, That is always good. But I don't think that this film is effective in that regard. Well, so, I don't. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I was just reacting to what what you said. I, I think the the sort of lack of super hard hitting stuff is probably just a reality of needing to get something finished and not having, frankly, a budget to produce something as extensive and thorough as maybe what you guys would have wanted. I think Cernovich knew a lot of these people. Uh, who do have, I think, some interesting points of view. Uh, I actually did like hearing from some of these people talking about some of these subjects. Yeah, you can hear Alex Jones and Gavin McGinnis talking to each other ad nauseum, but when they're actually focused on the particular topic of the film, I think it does help. Now, did they did they all experience certain things? Well, actually, both of them did. Lauren Southern maybe didn't, but it kind of rounds out for the audience. Oh, well, it's not just a bunch of white dudes talking about this. Here's a white chick. Here's a feminist chick. Here's a gay guy. Here's a black guy. It, you know, and I'm no filmmaker, but it, 
to me, it just seemed like this is demonstrating that this is not just white people, white men's gripe. This is a universal issue. Uh, and I, from, from that simple standpoint alone, I thought it was okay. Now, did I find Lauren Southern in her socks giving me, you know, great political insight and all that helpful? Not really, but, uh, Adam, know, for, I thought we agreed that we would not discuss the socks any further. Oh, I, I didn't remember agreeing to that. <laughs> I thought we were going to delay it, but <laughs> I mean, Adam really wanted to talk about the socks. Yeah, it's clear that Adam is something the, that you're, you know, you're in really... the pre-show warm-up. That was the first thing Adam brought up. Well, was, the hey, guys, camera was really seen? low, and so obviously yeah. they they thought this was important. It, it, it's a very strange thing. I mean, do you, I, do you think she was not wearing socks, and then they said that you need to put socks on? <laughs> We can't have this film be too racy with, you know, your feet hanging out, Lauren. I thought there was a scene. Do you think that there's a maybe a deleted scene? Like if you buy this on DVD or something, there's like (laughs) deleted scenes. that. No, you have to buy it on VHS to get the real (laughs) saucy stuff. (laughs) No, no, that's eight millimeter. Yeah, right. Just play it on a projector or an old sheet. Uh, So... Right after the Scott Adams part at the beginning, we immediately transitioned to like Stefan Molyneux. No, 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 no. Hold on. We transitioned to Cassie J. And who is Cassie J? Well, Cassie J made a movie that nobody saw about men's rights activists. Uh, I and, did see clips of it. I did see clips of uh, it. I didn't see it though. But. Right. And like is in the film for five minutes to talk about how an Australian news anchor would like lied about her and had like a subliminal messaging and the, uh, the undertext on the, on the screen. And then that was it. It's like, see, there's hoaxing going on guys. That was the hoax. Well, you, so you didn't like it. I mean, I can give my take on it, but what was your reason for not liking it? It's, it's back to the schizophrenia. Like the film can't decide. So you don't like what, the style of it. Well, we can't it, we can't decide on but the filmmakers can't decide what exactly we're going to focus on. OK, so we're going to bring on Cassie J and we're going to say that Cassie J was the victim of media hoaxing. What is our great example of media hoaxing? A, a, a foreign I mean, who gives a shit about what an Australian news anchor is doing, but a foreign uh, news anchor has like a lie by omission about a film. Okay, I mean, I, I'm sure that that kind of thing happens to people like Quentin Tarantino. I, it's not it's not exactly novel, and I think that the reality is that the film wants you to believe that uh, Cassie J's film, uh, which I don't even remember the title of, um, was some kind of seminal work that caused an uproar of controversy. The reality is that almost no one saw it and almost no one heard of it. And you can make a you they could have made a very valid point that the reason why it didn't do well is because the media didn't, you know, try to uh, cover up its existence. I would have been more well, interested they tried to attack in hearing, I would have been more interested in hearing that argument, but they don't make that argument. They they basically create this scenario where there was this film that was super important and seminal and controversial when the reality I, is that I don't think anyone cares. I don't think it's out. about the film. I think it's about her because she, and I, I, I don't actually yeah. know this because I don't fl- fly in her circles, but from the impression that I got and the way she was talking, by the way, it, I immediately had a visceral rejection of her. 
because of the the sort of uh, urbanite uh, hipster ish kind of cosmopolitan speak that she was. She, she seems she seems honestly disingenuous. Like I would I would have been I, I don't trust her at all. I agree, but I do trust the fact that she was attacked by the media, and I think that's what's relevant about it because she was. Doing the approved messaging, her first film was on, I don't know, some feminist nonsense. And then the second one was on LGBT or maybe the other way around. Both of those are approved messages. And so what was interesting to me was that how much support she got from the media and the universities. And you're going you're to get a grant. You're brilliant. You have such a, a great career ahead of you, regurgitating platitudes, basically, of the establishment. Uh, and then cut to her making the not, you know, that illogical, somewhat obvious, frankly, but still logical qu- uh, connection between women's rights and men's rights. So the next third film she's going to make is on men's rights. And then the establishment throws her under the bus. I thought that was interesting to see how somebody who was kind of the the chosen girl was then cast aside very quickly because she didn't do well, the approved messaging. More interesting than her was someone else who was not actually interviewed, though made an appearance in the film, and that would be Amber Lyon, who right. uh, worked, worked for CNN. And I've actually, I believe I've mentioned what happened to her on the program many moons ago, but it, her story is interesting because she was doing a documentary series for CNN on the Arab, so called Arab Spring, you know, another manufactured uh, CIA color revolution uh, that when she tried to take that same model and material angle to uh, Bahrain, where of course the U S fifth fleet is headquartered, <laughs> they shut her down. Okay. And that's much more interesting than, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I mean, th- a, that's, that's good evidence. Like you want to have that as proof of your, which I thought the main films argument or case was that the media is biased surprise yeah. but here's the, the, well, here's okay. the evidence that that's the underlying the underlying theme to the film is the very un uh, uninspiring point that the media it's it's basically a plea for fairness okay and it's that all of these people who are showing up have had their positions misrepresented <laughs> that the media has portrayed them as being you know more extreme than they are Uh, And that's all true. The media has portrayed all these people as being more extreme than they are because all of these people with maybe a few minor exceptions uh, are liberals. Uh, I would, you know, I'll I'll give some credit to Lauren and uh, to our boy Myron. Uh, I would say that they are not liberals. But beyond that, I think everyone that was interviewed in the film was a liberal. So I will say that I think the Amber Lyons stuff is again just emblematic of the schizophrenia. Like, so the film at about the half hour mark, as I said, takes a total 180. The first half hour, I mean, I'm not getting right on the half hour mark, but the first half hour I was bored. I, I was immediately regretting watching this. I was mad at Nick. I was like, why, why, why am I doing this? And, um, and, I, and I think when, Right before that, Stefan Molyneux is doing his whole capitalism is good shtick when talking about Holodomor. And I was seriously like, you I was remembering back to, to our, our, our episode on the Holodomor, and I think it was Nick who made this point, like that conservatives will say that the reason why Holodomor happened was because the Soviets didn't know price theory. Like they didn't have capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why that happened. And 
He it, was giving it was just the, a lazy answer. He was going it was, from it was his the go-to most answers cringe, and everything. Yeah. It was the most cringe way of introducing the concept that the media lies when talking about Walter Durante. And I'm like, okay, maybe this is interesting. So we're going to go back to the 30s and the, the 20s and 30s, and we're going to talk about how the media manipulated the American public into believing the Soviet Union were good guys. Okay, that's actually worthwhile because a lot of Americans outside of boomers aren't aware of that these days. And the film spends all of three minutes talking about the relationship that the American media had to the communists. And it doesn't even really go into how this relationship got started, what were other examples of this relationship taking place, who was permeating this relationship, what else did Walter Durante lie about? Walter Durante was a prolific liar. Uh, he was exp- and who exposed him? People like Malcolm Muggeridge ex- exposed him. Former communists had to expose him. So you know th- this this whole thing where we we'd have this interlude with Stefan, who's spouting off th- just complete and utter nonsense. Uh, we have a a brief foray into intrigue between the American media. Uh, dishonesty, hoaxing of the uh, the situation, the Soviet Union and the American relationship to the Soviets, and then and then as soon as that it it shies away from that immediately, and I'm, and I'm back to like hating Nick for making me watch this movie, and <laughs> then all of a sudden it turns, it it immediately decides, hey, we're going to bring on this comms professor who's written multiple articles about media malfeasance. We're going to bring on multiple examples. We're going well, to wait, about- Hans, to the schizophrenic point regarding the comms professor, this is something that is uh, a mixed narrative that they have going because I know, I know, I know. I'm getting there. I think, I think right we're now. arriving at the same place. Yeah, Let me yeah. finish. So at the half hour mark, the film starts to take a turn that is actually interesting for about 25 minutes. And it's talking about media manipulation in the 1950s. And we're we're having interviews with actual source experts on the subject who've written about the subject. That's what I like in a documentary. Uh, You know, people who actually know what they're talking about, who have concrete examples, who've studied this, bringing up real examples of it. Fine. That's great. That's what you want in in a good documentary. That's why you're watching it to begin with. Uh, And it starts going into things like the church committee. And it, the church hearings, and it starts talking about Mockingbird, starts talking about CIA's relationship, and it brings up Amber Lyons. And I'm like, okay, so so wait a minute. The film is basically an appeal for fairness. Why is the media not fair? Why is the media not speaking truth? That's The ending of the film is horrible cringe because it's basically a call to fairness, and it's Jordan Peterson and Stefan Molyneux walking around in the fucking desert with weird parables about the nature of truth and logos and fairness, which was horrific. Yeah, I, I had a I had a note about that. I wrote down. Um, and, but what is truth, bro? Right. Yeah. It, it's 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 horrifically bad. So this is the schizophrenia. Well, but to the it, comms professor, he makes so he he pulls out his big brain numbers, which we don't get to see or anything. But he claims that uh, the American media 
was biased to the right, whatever that means, up until the uh, 1950s or 70s. Yeah, something like that. That's his claim. But, of course, it's at odds with what had just been presented regarding the New York Times and the the USSR. Well, that's one example. I mean, I think it includes all the local papers, which probably were small-town conservative types back in the day, and those those all went out of business. So I think that probably explains a lot of the leftward leaning. The whole underlying message is fundamentally flawed because they spend this weird, interesting interlude that's that actually grabbed my attention before failed e-celeb uh, losers like Rudkowski and Southern show up uh, to to sabotage the film. The, I won't that, be. There, I wouldn't in, be so in, harsh yeah, on Southern. That's a, in, just, in that in that period, really hold on. In harsh. that period, in that period, we're basically establishing. I I thought we were establishing the precedent that the media is fundamentally. A, an entity that is intertwined with a mirage of elements from a shadow government. So then why, are, w- why, why is the ultimate message of the film fairness if we just established that the media is, is effectively controlled by the CIA? Well, that's, that's the most interesting. That's see. Okay. This is the most interesting question. They didn't really to, to put that. to these people. They're just is, showing you a bunch of, you're theories. talking about, you have this plea for fairness, but what is the given reason that you should expect that from the media? No, there is it? none. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, this is my gripe with, frankly, a lot of what we and others do on the internet is we just moan and groan, but the powers that be don't care. We have to figure out a way to make them care or to get power ourselves. And that the movie fails to do that uh, but i think it, it still contributes a, a good summary uh to people who may not be aware of this stuff now again we all were pretty aware of it uh some of these numbers were, were new to me so I, I appreciated that and and i found it kind of a fun look at some of the old uh protest uh you know trump campaign stuff days that was interesting to me um i get hans's point about the sort of jumping around but what I would just say is that was an editing choice that maybe you didn't like, but I didn't have any problem with it. And the real question I would have is if you're going to expand on some of these areas that you did seem to like, like those church hearings, which I would add, by the way, has been done ad nauseum, so I wouldn't expand upon that. But if you like that, okay, that plus the other things that you liked, what would you cut? Because the, you're supposed to do about two hours, and they went for about two hours. So what would so, you cut okay, out? I, what would you expect? I wouldn't blame exclusively uh, Cernovich or whatever other filmmakers were involved in this. I think that some of the incoherence really comes from the people who are the subject matter of, of the film, namely that these people themselves don't really have a coherent ideological line to begin with. I would agree. Yeah, And, and they're not experts in anything. I mean, uh, I mean, what is what is what Luke Rutowski an, an expert in? Okay, what is he's an expert in being arrested by various police organizations around the world. <laughs> no, come on. Some of these people, though, they have some authority to speak on these topics. Alex Jones. Yeah, sure, uh, I'll give I'll know. give I'll give all, a lot of these guys credit, man. I'll give Luke Rudowski credit. I'll give Tim Pool credit. Yeah, Tim Tim uh, Pool actually impressed me. I didn't know that much about his uh, background. Uh, I, I, I think that Rogan, Luke but, yeah. Luke Rudowski never really adapted with the times. I mean, he was somebody who got into kind of guerrilla journalism when he was pretty young and. And I, I'm not sure how how relevant he's able to make his material these days. But all the same, I, I'm always going to give credit to people who put themselves out there and, totally. and take risks. You know, that's just as a matter of principle, I will always do that. Yeah. 
However, uh, again, what's the point exactly? Like, what what is Tim, even Tim Pool, like, all credit due to the man himself, what is this stuff really for? Look, if you go to Europe and you yeah. make, you know, you're going to make a, a film about the conditions of the, the European police state regarding uh, the replacement program that's going on, et cetera. Well, everybody who's going to do anything about that or may in the future do something about that, they already know about it. You know, who, who is this message for? I, it seems. It, it's the, that's the right question to ask uh, him in particular. Um, I do want to defend a little bit because I think he did move the needle a little bit in his appearance on Joe Rogan when he basically stared down the CEO of Twitter and his little minion sitting next to him and told them they're full of shit. And the whole world saw that. And that puts a lot of pressure on Twitter, whether we think it does or not. I think it does. They have to know that their user base doesn't trust them and they want to have their user base trust them. Now you shouldn't, but uh, it, it doesn't mean that those types of tactics don't work a little bit. And the fact that he got such a, a big platform, I think is to his credit that he's done a lot of good work and he got, you know, a good uh, opportunity to do that. So I appreciate what he did. Now, does it force Twitter to do anything? No, but it puts a little bit of pressure in the right direction. So I would say he did a good job. Yeah. So ultimately one of the problems that I had that, I, you know, I, I actually tried to think through um, after I was done watching it, what exactly would a good documentary uh, look like in this format? And I, I mean, let me just say, guys, we're, we're being somewhat satirical. Like, I don't honestly think this is like one of the worst things I've ever seen. Okay. It's 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 not that horrible. I, I've sat through some pretty bad stuff before, um, but if I'm not going to, I'm not going to just sit here and criticize and, and not offer any possible solutions. The absolute worst thing I've ever seen was when I had a girlfriend once who made me watch Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, what's the the main the main chorus to the main song in the film was uh, Oh God, no, no, no! <laughs> so I I would rate this as definitely uh, more watchable than Moulin Rouge. And as the question as to what what should this have tried to accomplish, I don't really know, man, because I don't really know like the people. First of all, it did get removed from Amazon. Uh, I don't really know the details of that, but I, it's one of those things that most of the people who are going to watch this are going to be familiar with it, but it's not going to move them in any new direction or anything like that. It's not really I, meant I, I to would, do that. I would say that if you're interested in viewing a documentary that I think this could have used as a template, first of all, they would have need they should have picked just a single like uh, linear time to focus on, linear subset of time. Are we going to focus on the media manipulation in the fifteen, the, the, the twenty sixteen election period from two thousand fifteen to to the beginning of like twenty seventeen to mid twenty seventeen? That would have been interesting, right? Because you guys, you guys and and myself were definitely more involved in that. Like we were following that very closely. We remember a lot of the absolutely insane and surreal media manipulation going on. Uh, a lot of just the surreal things that continue to pop up that every day was more uh, was more um, surreal than the last. Uh, 
that would have been interesting. And I and I would say that if you wanted to use a format, I would look at a more mainstream documentary that did very well, uh, which would be Inside Job. Inside Job is um, is a is the shit lib take on the 08 financial crisis, but it is an incredibly effective documentary. It's one of the most popular documentaries ever made in terms of most purchases, box office, most views on streaming platforms. It is to this day in the top 10 biggest documentaries ever made. And um, say what you will about the film. Yeah, like George Soros appears in it, uh, Strauss Kahn appears in it. Like these, you know, these are horrific, awful people um, whose opinions shouldn't be really listened to. But uh, I will say that it is an effective film. It's an interesting film. And it wasn't, the, the budget for the film was very low. Um, the, the, the guy who made the film doesn't actually appear in it at all. He's not the subject matter ever. I think you only hear his voice a few times in interviews, um, maybe once or twice. Um, I don't even remember, I think I don't think his name is Charles something. He, he he doesn't. He's so unegotistical that I don't even remember his name. Um, that was a great film because it actually tried to explain it in decent terms and focus on a subset of time and a certain piece of drama. And if you want. A good documentary that's the inverse of Inside Job, focusing on the 08 financial crisis, um, that is for more, I guess, conservative audiences, I would say Money for Nothing is, is very well done as well. Um, it's it's purely interviews with subject matter experts like Jim Grant is a, is a big subject matter expert in the film. Um, from Jim is Grant. that the Shadow Stats guy? He's the interest rate observer guy. Well, let me let me let me just let me just say let me just finish. So that was how I would structure it. I'm I'm not going to just you know just criticize the film, make fun of it. I I would actually propose if we you know we were to make this movie, I would choose something in particular to focus on. I would not have people in it just for like branding. I I would not have people like Southern. I would actually have someone like Cernovich on because I think Mike Cernovich, to his credit, was an influential and interesting guy exposing who exposed media manipulation in real time during that period of time. He was actually useful and he is a subject matter expert on it, I would well, say. If I was if we were gonna make something, I my approach to this would be first of all, I don't believe that communication uh, reason or debate are relevant in 21st century America. That's also true. I don't think that it is of any value. I think that the film totally lacked pathos. And my goal in a film like this would be to instill the maximum amount of hatred in the American people for the system, for the journalist class, for the academic class, uh, for the political class, etc. And if that just so happened to move the American people to ultra violence, you know, great. Um, but I think the lack of emotion was key because you had the subject of uh, political violence from the left, and there would be a lot of opportunity to talk about to, to really get the story of people whose lives were ruined. Most of the interview subjects, Alex Jones still has millions of dollars. Okay, he got removed from YouTube, but he's still a millionaire. You know, he um, is, but I think that's 
to be fair, I think that's to his credit as a business person, which isn't always bad. And I think he still delivers a decent Fine. product. I, I don't. I don't think Alex Jones should be impoverished. Yeah, I, I don't. That's think not what so I'm either. saying. Yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is that there are people who are fucking sitting in prison right now because of these motherfuckers. Absolutely. I, I mean, the okay. Charlottesville is probably the easiest one to, to point you know, to. And there, there and are I actually people... think they shouldn't have they shouldn't have touched Charlottesville. I think that that was kind of a poison pill to mm. throw that in towards the end. I thought it was I mean, relevant, I, though. Maybe, but, it's a tough but subject, the thing is, but... there are people who have been much more seriously affected by the criminal media class. Sure. Uh, people whose lives have been uh, ruined in a much more serious way. And yes, it is difficult for some of these people to get to agree to, to discuss it because they've been so broken down and afraid now that they won't do it. But that's something that, you know, I, I felt no, I did feel some hatred, but the hatred I felt didn't come up until they started showing, you know, the flashbacks of uh, our brief days of rage a few years back. You know, that, that was, uh, that was when I, it started getting ticking again for me because I remember, I remember that I was there for some of that. And, you know, that, that is a, something that is always effective when you're trying to do propaganda is, is emotions. You know, you need that. And I don't think the film really had any of that. I think that you had these people who pride themselves, especially, I mean, that's Molly new and uh, Peterson's whole shtick is that they're going to reason with you and they're, the, you know, the light of reason will, will triumph or some bullshit like that, but that's not the reality. It's, uh, well, the film immediately dates itself by having Peterson because Peterson now is like a, He's like a, a drug addict living in Russia. I, <laughs> was he institutionalized or something? I, think he was I, in I, I heard something about that. Yeah, he he was in Russia for some experimental anti-drug program, or I, I don't. Weird. Yeah, the man, of course, has problems, um, and certainly it does make him a bit hypocritical for for positioning himself as a guy to give you life advice when he, he clearly has a lot of issues himself. You know, it's funny too because when I watch. Uh stuff on youtube which is of course through uh 10 different proxies and i'm never signed in uh when i watch something related to masculinity or anything regarding uh anti-political correctness then the suggested recommended video that has been the most frequently auto played after the one that i was actually interested in finished is a jordan peterson lecture it's like the same lecture that keeps coming up and I guess, like, if you're into uh, masculinity or something like that, I guess he is sort of related to that. But the frequency in which it's popped up makes me a little suspicious that he was uh, whitelisted to be uh, auto auto recommended to you when you're on YouTube. Well, the, and the, the trouble with this kind of line of that you see from these types in general is that it really it. it conservatives are eternal losers everyone knows that um and it reinforces the loser mentality where they 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 stay on the defensive it's the 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 line is that the media is telling untruths about us and we are really not all these things in the meantime they're of course buying into the system's moral frame uh and no one has the balls to say anything other than that you know they it, it it's weak sauce, man. I mean, I, everyone knows it's weak sauce. If you're listening to this program and you watched it, you'd feel the same way. You know, I think that there was a missed opportunity as well. I mean, if, if, if they could have focused on, if, if they wanted to focus on um, certain people, right? If you wanted to have a more in-depth, if you, if you remove all this stuff, 
uh, about like, various historical uh, incidents of media manipulation and media malfeasance, I guess we'll call it, um, in the past. Um, and if you remove some of the Trump election stuff and then you make it strictly about people who've had um, problems with the media and laying out how their problems progress, like they do do that with Jones to an extent. They do look at uh, Jones's case and I honestly would have been interested in um, extending that uh, by a twofold factor, like really going through uh, like the last three or four years of media manipulation surrounding Alex Jones. And they don't even uh, fully dive into how Jones was deplatformed. Um, which I thought was the ultimate point, which is what they were leading up to, but they don't really go into it. I mean, Jones was effectively deplatformed, not just from YouTube, he was deplatformed from Google Play services, from uh, from the ICE, from the Apple Store. He was deplatformed from multiple streaming platforms. He was uh, deplatformed from, uh, I think, even like their web provider was giving them problems. Like, you know, they were having serious issues getting their apps out with their infrastructure, uh, remaining on streaming services. Uh, they had, I, I believe, like some of the subreddits devoted to Infowars were taken down. I mean, it was a, there were Facebook groups, their Facebook account, I think, was taken down. I mean, um, there were calls to remove uh, their Twitter, which I think it has had several Infowars employees have had their Twitter taken down. Alex Jones is no longer on Twitter. Like, they didn't go into that. They didn't go into the systematic preference castigate, which would have been interesting for, I think, viewers to see is that this is how it works. There's a run-up of media manipulation against you, and there's increasing calls from an, an internalized journalistic class to have you taken down. And then it, it, it doesn't happen for a while. Everything stays intact until one domino falls, and then there's this preference cascade, and then it all happens immediately. Well, That's this just occurred point. to me, sorry to interrupt, but glaring omission is Assange. I mean... Well, none of the WikiLeaks people and, and very little to do with WikiLeaks is brought up. I mean, it would not have been difficult, I feel, to get a hold of one of the WikiLeaks subordinates. They may not, not want to talk to Cernovich. Well, you know what's bizarre about that is that the WikiLeaks stuff is only brought up in the context of vindicating Mark Cernovich regarding his involvement with the Pizzagate stuff. Right. And yeah, that was actually the opening, right? That was actually that's the whole. Started. That's really the. I mean, that was bizarre. That's, like that's the, ultimately the guy loading his guy loading the AR fifteen. Yeah. I, I yeah. was like, what the fuck am I watching? I, I thought this yeah. was going to like take a weird turn when I saw that, but yeah, it, they did it again too with the uh, with the Scalise shooting. They do that same thing, right? You know, it's um, like the oh, lo uh, looming specter. Well, of political they, they violence have footage. And... They have footage from Ben Swan, who was himself a victim of media manipulation and harassment, and likely threats uh, who, who? for actually engaging in productive media coverage. <laughs> yeah, of, Ben's Ben's a good guy. Of not only I don't know what he's up to uh, now. But... Not only the Pizzagate stuff, but Ben Swan had for years been doing in-depth reports on the Syrian crisis that were actually, I think. Uh, fairly well done and, and nuanced about the, the nature of the Syrian civil war, who's really doing the fighting, who's supporting the people really doing the fighting. Uh, ben Swan had, was an probably was more of a subject matter expert on media and uh, has actually worked in the media for a long time. 
Um, and he, he only has a few clips in the film. Yeah, also not. And, and there's no and there's no interview with him. And I'm like, again, a golden opportunity to look at the critical work that Ben Swan has done in the backlash he faced in the media, his own industry, for having done it. It's not discussed. It's not discussed at all. So it's like, what? what is the fucking point of this movie? I, I do not understand what it's trying to do. It, it has it, it isn't like an aimless mess where it's it's uh, sporadically interesting and then it descends into like e-celebrity histrionics. I, Wait, I think I, ultimately the point of the movie was to make money. I mean, uh, <laughs> Hans, <laughs> make if, money. If, if Lauren Southern had shoes on, would you have liked this movie? Yes, actually, <laughs> uh, I, I am. I am very anti-foot uh, fetish, so uh, I would have preferred the shoes being on. Uh, That's okay. literally the only thing I remember about that that segment. I just I don't remember what she said. Uh, no, I don't she remember said, anything she said. She also she, said she she, she is an incredibly uninteresting person. She made a comment <laughs> about that black girl who CNN cut off uh, talking about bringing the violence to the white suburbs. That that's she brought that up. That's the only thing. Oh, I. Yeah, I mean, did we need Lawrence? Was Lawrence Southern the the expert on like yeah. on that I thing? Don't know why I mean, she was talking about she, that after the BLM guy. Did we need the, the, her to talk about it? I mean, so then that was that was another interesting aspect of the film. It's like, hey, maybe we could have made a movie focusing on CNN because CNN is this comically inept uh, organization that I mean, James O'Keefe has done. Yeah. Huge amounts of work exposed to those people, and for and they even use some of his work in the film. So it's not even an original film. They're just like using other people's work, which is very. Well, cheap. they they interviewed him, which was original. Well, they're just doing filler content with someone else's documentary. No, I th- I thought it was good. I, I he has the best stuff in terms of yeah his interview evidence. Good, my my yeah. point my yeah. point is that they they themselves do almost no real investigatory work as part of this documentary. It's like uh... it's like a compendium of other work being done. Okay. Uh, at times, it almost felt like an anthology with within in its own film. Like I couldn't tell what it. It just kept shifting around to different stories. I mean, and it should come as no surprise that, of course, at no point in the movie do they identify the the chief culprit of media manipulation, the Goblin Jew. <laughs> They're going to say the Goblin Irishman. You know, there there's a well, sh- I, there's a shocking amount of of Irish involved in like the banking and uh, media sectors. It's really why really is that shocking? There's a lot of Irish the, people. Gets the noggin joggin on the Hibernian conspiracy. That's um, what I have to say about that. I, I had a comment about CNN. Uh, what sure. I was, yeah, what I was wondering um, is they kept like jumping. And this is, I think, in agreement with maybe Hans's critique. They kept kind of jumping around, like what is motivating the bias. And I think an acceptable answer is there isn't one answer to that, by the way. But one of the or the, the two things that seemed to be most commonly cited was there was an economic incentive, like ratings, in other words, and then there was a political incentive. So like there's a desire to suppress the opposition. And it wasn't clear to me what was the primary one, if anything. And 
what CNN's uh, motivation was, for example. Uh, they, they didn't get to the root of what drives these organizations. And I'm not saying I have any brilliant answer other than it's just a confluence of you know, Project Mockingbird, uh, Anderson Cooper interning for the CIA you know, when he was young. Uh, kind of thing, uh, Wolf Blitzer, Mossad they, they agents. Did, they didn't even they didn't even do boilerplate like maybe CNN. I mean, the conservatives do this, but at least they try and make a connection. Like uh, Chris Cuomo is related to the governor of New York, who, and they're both descended from a long line yeah. of very powerful Democratic Party politicians. Yeah, they're stuffed to like, the gills with elite political class members right like they, they could have they could have easily spent 10 seconds making that connection like hey well part of the part of the part of the reasoning here of, of why cnn's main one of their main anchors is so uh bashful towards conservatives is that effectively he's related to powerful democratic party politicians like okay that, that's kind of boilerplate but i would buy it yeah that, that probably factors into their relationship definitely but the film doesn't even want to doesn't even want to try and make the most obvious connections to it. Well, they could have also interviewed the great terrorist philosopher Samuel Hyde, who would have told you the true nature of these people. I mean, I don't really care what explanation. I mean, for from the perspective of propaganda, truth is irrelevant. Contra Peterson and Molyneux, it doesn't fucking matter. What matters is to get your people hating the enemy enough to do something about it. That's all that matters. And if the American people believe that Wolf Blitzer wakes up every morning and eats Gentile children's foreskins for breakfast over his Wheaties, I'm good with that. And it's probably true. But this this idea, like, it, to Adam, what I'm saying is, like, well, they don't explain it. I mean— yeah, they don't explain it, which is funny because that's their whole thing. It's like, we're going to break it down and we're going to reason and give you the truth. I mean, Molyneux intimates that the reason for all this is communism, that the system wants communism. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, how can it's this is just cartoon shit. I, I feel like I was watching a really bad John Burke Society documentary at times. Oh, like the guy that wrote the creature from Jekyll Island was going to walk out and start explaining oh, uh, Griff Griffith. Is that yeah. Like they start explaining, uh, uh, the communist plot to take over America. I mean, I would have, I would have rather spent two hours rewatching the Yuri Bezmenov interviews than, than watching this, to be honest. Yeah, it is. It's like these people are what they're all card carrying members of the communist party or something. And that's, that's what's going on here. Well, I think yeah. it's interesting that uh, the style is arguably what Hans has the biggest issue with. And and maybe that's a valid criticism. I mean, I, I don't think there's any really my, my biggest My biggest issue film, is not but... the style. My biggest issue is, okay. is the total lack of substance and the fact that okay. the, the majority of the people involved in it have nothing interesting to say and should not have been involved in it. Like, there was... Okay. They had However, no, there was no reason to have it. So no. my, I, I, well, I, okay, interesting, interesting is subjective I, I, because I, I need a chance to film, finish my point at some point. But oh, sure, go, go ahead well, if, I, you, if you got okay, a hot I'm take. Just go say, ahead. What is interesting is is subjective, and if we're gonna, I'm I'm trying to critique this from the perspective that it's not made for us, right? It's made for, and I I told I opened this, I explained yeah, that, I gave it the yeah. I gave it the mother test, you know, and 
she found it to be passe and redundant, right? (laughs) So, but but is she uh, to flesh it out a little bit? Does she read or listen to Rush or like what? What is her kind of uh, milieu of knowledge and in this sphere? She's she's an elderly conservative woman who you know. I mean, she's a Trump supporter, of course. Okay. Um, you know, card. She's a been a Republican her entire life. You know, it's um she'll watch she's a watches tucker every night right like she's a she's if anything she's a reasonable demographic for this but i think it's actually she might also be a little too old for this in a certain sense because Hmm. it does seem geared a little bit yeah they're a little young towards younger people um none of the interview subjects were very old um and i think that if you're a young person if you're a millennial and you're not a political extremist um I, I don't really think you're going to have a future. Okay, so th- this is kind of related to what I was thinking, was that I think Hans, uh, to his um, his credit, is a type of guy who likes to do uh, deep research, deep analysis, deep reading, deep thinking, deep conversations, uh, and that's great, and, and our society definitely could use more of that. Um, but what I think... the the Cernovich phenomenon encapsulates is just how attention deficit disorder our society is with TikTok now and yeah. Ryan and all this. Uh, I, I would, I, mean, I the, would, the, I would definitely yeah, agree with that. The, the rise yeah. of Cernovich and frankly, most of the people he interviewed, I think is indicative of the type of media consumption that most people like. And perhaps that his style is, probably more geared towards a large audience than what your style is. Now that doesn't take away from the value of what your approach is, but at the same time, I don't think the fact that he has such a large following based on this type of like really ADHD, uh, TikTok stuff on uh, Twitter. uh, I don't think that him doing that is bad because it reaches a lot of people. I don't really know oh, if it actually changed their minds, for, but I think it has reach. So there's value there. Well, for Cernovich, Cernovich uh, is a is an unmatched self promoter. He is a yeah. very talented man. Uh, he <laughs> right. he came out of nowhere and is now, in some respects, a. I mean, my mother knew who he was. I didn't expect that. <laughs> I said no. That is had no idea. <laughs> she would know who this guy was, you know. But she did. Um, I, I actually think that Cernovich. I actually, and I've gotten flack for this before in these circles, um, and I'm sure I'll get flack for saying this again. Uh, I think Mike Cernovich uh, is an interesting guy, and I think that he's done good work. Um, Maybe part of the problem with the film, ultimately, is that he didn't direct it. Um, I've never heard of the two Jokers that made this movie. He produced it. Uh, I don't know why he didn't make it himself. Well, it's funny because he proclaims himself, hi, I'm Mike Cernovich. I'm an author, journalist, and uh, filmmaker. Well, I thought he did. Intimate film, filmmaker, you know, yeah. yeah. But he yeah. didn't make the movie, which okay. is weird. He didn't, 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 didn't direct the movie. He should have just directed the movie. Like, I think that that was probably missed opportunity number one, was having Mike Cernovich really control the production of this film. Um, and maybe, like he actually did direct it and this other guy took uh, who knows what the relationship is there if there's some e-drama behind this go ahead and email us about it i don't care to look it up myself but if you guys know like 
that something happened that made this situation, let us know. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think that Cernovich is an interesting guy. He's, he's effective at what he does. He was extremely effective in the 16 election cycle. I would say that Mike Cernovich was one of the more most effective political operators during that time. And well, he's uh, a he's a fighter. He he yeah. he's not a pussy. Uh, he's just not. He's an entrepreneur, man. He's not. And and, and it has, was in, it was interesting that they showed his his battles. Like they actually, to their credit, did show that there was some manner of media hoaxing going on in relation to him from 60 Minutes, from some of these other news outlets, and that he actually went on their platform and fought back and kind of made them look foolish by going after him. Um, you know, like Yeah, he handles himself well. One of the better scenes of that in the 60 Minutes interview is when the, I don't know, whatever 60 Minutes hack that is, is interviewing him. And, that's Scott Kelly. Uh, okay, yeah, well, Cernovich, uh, <laughs> he asked what the source for their claim that like Hillary is had pneumonia and he's like, well, the campaign said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was pretty oh, good. Really? Yeah. Oh, really guy. Yeah. I mean, I certain people like that, you, you know, I'm not against these types, you know, they're, they are mercenary types. They, they have no interest in any of what we want. They are merely in it for the money and for their own careers. That's okay. Uh, if they're used correctly, if if they can be directed to a purpose that is effective. But I have yet to see that. I'm okay with it in principle, but none of these people I've found to actually have done anything in terms of the political struggle. I, I, uh, I mean, some of them have documented. I think, if anything, Tim Pool is probably my favorite person that was interviewed here. I would say that, I mean, Tim Pool is, is good at... Is, what he does. Um, I don't know if there's any favorite person. I would say that someone that should never be interviewed uh, is probably Gavin, uh, Gavin McInnes. I, Why? He, he served no purpose in in this documentary. I, I think he's, he's fairly witty. I mean, you may disagree with his uh, lifestyle choices perhaps, but um, I, I didn't find him to be a distraction or anything. He was making points they, they weren't like super profound or anything but i thought he was articulate that that gavin and the lesbian berkeley chick and uh she was all right i mean she actually was people. again well, like that other i chick. guess they're they're okay but it's like well, they didn't add anything i mean what what is so the, they're mad because the media didn't cover it, this girl getting that the media doesn't it doesn't have a side per se it doesn't actually like have compassion for the individuals uh, involved in all this stuff. It has an agenda, uh, whether it's ratings or, poli or politics, but the individuals involved, if they fit a certain narrative, they are going to tell that story. And she fit that narrative as a, as a white, blonde, female uh, Trump supporter. Even though her hat was wrong and Antifa attacked her, they still used that as, as, as a as something to put in the story. And I think the, the fact that she wasn't what they thought she was demonstrates that that is the media style. It, it doesn't actually do real research. It just tells a story to fit a narrative. So I thought it was relevant. Well, let's, let's close out here on a, a discussion. When I started thinking about when I was getting to the end of this movie, 
was the upcoming election, which is something I, I don't I haven't put too much thought into, but not, not the election itself, per se, but what will start happening, you know, um, as it did in 2016 with respect to political theater on the streets. Uh, what do you guys think? Are we going to get uh, a good sequel? Is it going to escalate or is it going to be something different? I don't you, I don't think do that you guys political theater due to the election, because uh, I think that much of the uh, antipathy towards Trump that was super violent and hostile has already been kind of I think it's burned uh, out. It's burned out. And, and no one is going to go out in the street and fight to the death on behalf of Joe Biden. Uh, that's good luck with that. Um, so I, I honestly think that because the election has ironically become boring, I mean, Trump has become somewhat of a uh, sort of parochial, anachronistic figure politically. That's not to be anti-Trump, but he's become just another American president. Uh, I don't think it'll be that interesting. I honestly think that what'll be more interesting, which is totally unrelated to uh, this discussion, but it will be uh, economic meltdown from uh, the current virus crisis will likely lead to uh, you know fights in the streets and, and political violence. But I don't think it'll be due to the election. I, I would say that uh, look for like the midterms in 2022 and the presidential election in 2024 for uh, a, a repeat of six of you know 2016 style media manipulation and uh, electoral violence I, I would say that um, you know in four years our economic situation is just going to be far worse I believe social securities uh, anticipated to be effectively broke uh, in four or five years so the election will be far more um, insane in four years rather than this upcoming one and let me just add too that a lot of the the drama that unfolded, like it's almost like a Greek drama, it's like a Shakespearean political play, uh, the twenty sixteen election um, will not be repeated because you know many of the people that cre- that helped create that drama, that helped propel Trump into office, that made the Trump candidacy interesting, the the, the the uh, the online reaction around it has effectively subsided, um, and you know the the subject matter of the film doesn't really touch on that. Uh, interestingly enough, it doesn't really touch on the fact that much of the infrastructure, if you want to call it that, that was developed at, in support of Trump and the America First agenda and so on uh, on the internet, with all these all these characters were involved in it. Um, None of them bring up the fact that most that most of their work will not be able to promulgate the way it did before and that uh, their attempts to influence the next election or to help the next election will likely be a wash because of the fact that they've made no real inroads in developing an alternative media source like, you know, ultimately, I think the reason the film is effectively a call for fairness and truth is that. On some level, they have to know, but they don't really elucidate or say that uh, their, their goose has been cooked and they don't they do not have the power that they had just two or three years prior in, uh, in 2016 and early 2017 before the, the purges really started. All right, I guess it's my turn. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with what Hans says. I think this election, 
I'm, it's just so bizarre. First of all, like, I don't, I don't know, uh, that that's my biggest, you know, point, I guess I should put across, but it's very suspicious that this, this virus appeared right when the election is coming up and it, uh, there's evidence of insider trading kind of a lot, you know, the airline stocks being shorter right before nine 11. So it makes me think and that that's just the tip of the iceberg, by the way, but we're not going to go into all the conspiracy theories around the virus. But it, for that reason that I think there's something suspicious about the virus, it makes me think that there's something bigger at play here. And I don't think Joe Biden is what the elite are really planning here. I frankly think that Biden is a placeholder because they really didn't have any good candidates this this time around um bloomberg didn't test well you could think maybe he would do it but um i think they're really trying to set up for when trump is gone and i think they're laying possibly the groundwork for the type of reorientation in the society that they're looking for and that is going to mean something like a mandatory vaccine mandatory contact tracing like they're doing in china but google and apple are now working together which should you know raise eyebrows to put this into their operating system to track whom you have been interacting with uh hint hint uh whether you know you were sick or not is is irrelevant the fact that they're publicly programming you to accept this as sort of a thing I think it's very suspicious. Uh, the fact that elections may start becoming mail-in only. Uh, I think it's just, it's, it's we're, we're, unlike the film, I want us to be not caught up in the street noise. I want us to think a little bit ahead. And it's hard to do because we're not in, in big power circles. But just try to put yourself in their shoes because these are the people that really matter. We don't matter, but we are affected by them. So we should be able to, or we should try to understand what their moves are going to be so we can get out of the way and try to make a strategy so we can at least not get crushed because that's really what we're left with as the, uh, the peasant class. But I think put yourself in their shoes. What are these people in Davos really worried about? They're worried about losing their wealth and their power. And so when you got a populist guy like Trump who has a lot of popularity, despite what the media is attempting to sort of dissuade people of, they realize that they can't just get rid of that. So they have to sort of steer people towards something that is going to be a little bit more palatable the next time around. It's hard to unseat a, a sitting president, et cetera, et cetera, short of an assassination, right? Uh, so he's probably going to get reelected. They probably know that, and they're just thinking ahead. And they're thinking on long time horizons because they can afford to. They have a lot of money and they can wait out any coronavirus bullshit. But in the meantime, all of us are locked down. We're restricted in how much we can travel, how much we can go to work. We're dependent on some UBI nonsense that makes us even more dependent on the government and the system. I think this is really what they're planning. And I think this election is just like most elections. It's just going to be a distraction. I'm not even paying any attention to it, frankly. I don't care about it. I really am worried about what the elites are planning. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with what people like Bill Gates talk about is having chips for people, whether or not they got tested or vaccinated. Uh, everybody's going to be super monitored like they have in China. They're going to do that in the West. And it's just a way to perpetuate their power structure. So that's what I think is really what's most important. And most people need to think about that and, and plan around that. Hey, honestly, Something I've noticed uh, that does parallel some of the, and you guys can correct me if you haven't noticed this or you think I'm wrong, but um, 
there's a lot of similarities in the uh, the coverage of two things. Um, the health of Biden, remember, like the health of Hillary, and they even did bring this up in in hoaxed that um, uh, you know Hillary was clearly in poor health, and people were privately leaking these details. Like she's she's very unhealthy. She's an incredibly unhealthy person. Uh, and then we and no one believed it. And there was all this media cover. And then she collapses and has like a seizure and they just throw her in the back of a truck and drive off. And uh, then the media completely flips its narrative. Um, well, you know, they're kind of doing the same thing with Joe Biden, who is very obviously physically, not only physically ill, uh, but clearly mentally uh, uh, debilitated. And, you know, on top of that, I see a lot of similarity to um, the discussion of polling. Remember during the 15 and 16 election cycle, uh, polling was this big discussion. Donald Trump is down 30 percent in the polls, like three days before the election. Donald Trump has a 98 percent chance of failure two days before the election, not all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, they're doing the same thing now. They're using the same sort of rhetoric, like General Trump is down 20 points, General Trump is down in key battleground states. And I think that this time around, uh, they're in a much more dire situation because uh, most people, for better or for worse, did see through much of the uh, electioneering that was going on in 16. 2016 was seminal because it was the year that the majority of the American public finally saw just how corrupt the media is and how goofy their attempts at manipulating you could be sometimes. And now they look at this more critically and people openly call out the fact that Joe Biden is clearly a senile, deranged, unhealthy man. And that clearly these polling numbers are insane. They're ridiculous. It makes no sense that Donald Trump is down like whatever they'll, they'll say one day, 15 points in Michigan. It's not possible. So I, I do I do foresee a repeat in, in their same tool set from 15 and 16 uh, strictly because they don't really have much else to utilize. So I guess look forward to that. Also definitely look forward to what Adam said, which is uh, they're going to make a push for mail in voting. Um, Mail-in voting is, is a sham, and it, it does speak to how ridiculous this country's become. We can't come up with a, a, an effective, secure, trusted digital solution for this, and we can't effectively manage our voting polls and stations to make sure that they're not compromised by the, uh, the super flu. So uh, I, I guess look forward to that as part of the election cycle coming up. Nick, last word. Sure, yeah, this... <clears throat> Watching this was was an interesting throwback to me because I, I feel like the past four years I have aged more than at any point in my life. And I'm getting just the problem I see with this and these guys who are popping up from the past four years in, in this film. It's just I really don't think that we are in a better position than we were four years ago. I think that the right or the you know American dissidents, broadly speaking, are worse off because we haven't taken these four years to learn how to do the most important thing in politics, which is organize. And we've been 
allowing these people to try to carve out some kind of, you know, safe middle ground where we can operate and putting our faith in, you know, the orange emperor. And I, I'm, you know, I'm fatigued. I know that I, I've said it over and over and over again, over, however long we've been doing this. I've never really believed there was a political solution. And any optimism I've ever had for that is now just a dim memory, you know, and I'm feeling more like the what's the line from Ulysses? It's, this is a nightmare. History is a nightmare. America is a nightmare that I'm trying to wake up from. And I don't know, man, I, I wish I had something nice to say, um, but I don't. Oh, peace must die.